0: an imperial assault podcast for 2022 and beyond this podcast is hosted by the IA Command youtube channel and sponsored by listeners like you through patreon if you want to support IA content and 2022 head over to patreon.com slash command and become a patron today this is episode 7 i am your host tv boy aka noah and i am joined by my co-host the second flock aka wesley wesley how you doing
1: Doing all right. Doing all right. It's busy time around the holidays, but uh, still nonetheless a great time to talk about Star Wars.
0: Star Wars, and in particular, Imperial Assault. <clears throat> and in this episode, we're going to be talking about the new map that just rotated in for IACP. Did you um, like my episode title that I put in the show notes, Wesley?
1: Yes. Yeah, I did notice that. Did you want to talk about the new map?
0: Yeah, Taibana talked to you about the new map. Anyway, so <laughs> Tabana Bestman Taibana facility is the new map. We're going to get into that as our main topic, but first <clears throat> we do need to talk about some segments we have uh, coming up. Uh, first, I'm going to get into the community updates here and let you guys know what's going on in the world of Imperial Assault. Community updates. So this week, not a whole lot going on. We did have a map rotation for IACP on the 14th, which was Moss Isley back alleys rotating out of competitive play and bringing in Tybana, Bespin Tybana facility. Uh, we're going to be talking about about that on the podcast as our main topic, of course. Um, we've been going taking a little break from our free tournament series, but I'm hoping to get that restarted probably on December seventeenth is what I'm looking at for the tournament. So look forward to that announcement for that date. Uh, probably check out Slack or the main website for that soon. Um, and I also have I have some stuff cooking under the surface that I'm not quite ready to show off yet. Um, but if you're interested in in-person local play, like competitive play in-person at a local store or something, um, keep 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 paying attention because there's something coming in coming down the pipe for you all, um, and I'm really excited about that. But it's it's taking me a little while to get that finished. Uh, and then finally, I do want to say a big thank you to my Patreon supporters. Without you guys, this all of this would not be possible or continuing. So a big thank you to Jessica, Robert, Loop F Z, Derek, Benjamin, and Sean. And if you want to help support the channel, you can go to patreon.com slash Command. and every tiny do- donation you give helps. If you want to support the channel for free, uh, subscribing, hit that subscribe button when you're on YouTube, leave a comment on the video, uh, hit the like button. All of those things help to support the channel, help to boost the channel to other other viewers so that people can see what's going on in Imperial Assault and that this is not a dead game. Alright, let's get back to the discussion. Okay, let's move right on to comms chatter, where we talk about uh, comments we've gotten on an episode or any fan mail or communications you guys have sent our way. And if you want to have your question answered or comment read on the air, leave a comment on YouTube on this video or send an email to icommand01 at gmail.com. So this week, uh, we actually have had, we got a couple of really nice comments, positive comments on our data breakdown episode in our last episode where we went over the season seven, um, metagame data, which was, you know, a small sample size, but it was interesting nonetheless to see what people were playing and how things were doing, and, um, uh, Turu commented, I could listen to this all day, I'm glad you broke your promise not to get into individual cards win rates, and yes, I did break that promise, and that episode ended up going way too long, so, uh, gonna be keeping an eye on the clock this time and then Chris uh, Dembinski said great video Um, he talks about he's probably the player playing Yoda and that um, he wanted to call out that this is a small data size um, so even though there's uh, well let me read the comment on the other hand limited data sets only reveal so much reliably as you state just want to reiterate that Um, so yeah, I, I, and he said, thanks again for your admirable dedication to the community. And so I uh, just want to call that out. Great comment by Chris there, totally agree. Um, it's a small data size. Um, what did you, do you have any thoughts on that episode, Wesley?
1: yeah uh there was a lot we wanted to a lot that episode
0: <laughs> we did we kind of got carried away there i can't help myself i'm such such a stats nerd for stuff like that especially for like competitive games i just love looking at the the, the high level stats of like what's going on <clears throat> yeah
1: honestly it got me to have a drive to try and play some of these units that i didn't see get as much love as i had expected
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool to see what's, like, what's getting played and what's, like, being kind of neglected that you would feel like, hmm, that's weird. Like, you think people would be playing this and then you t- you want to, like, ju- legitimize it or, or, you know, what do you call it?
1: Um, right. Bring it to the forefront.
0: hmm Yeah. Okay, well, that was our community uh, comms chatter section. Let's talk about some games we played. Um Wesley, I think this is going to be on you because I think I already talked about my last game I played, which was my top four against Morgan, uh, which is going to be going (laughs) up sometime this week when this podcast episode gets posted. It'll probably be up or going up soon. Uh, So I haven't played any games because I'm not in the current uh, competitive league that just started uh, about a week ago.
1: Well, I have to say I'm a little bit behind on my own uh, Swiss we have going on in the league. I'm going to be one of those players that tries to jam out three or four of my games in a few particular weeks. I feel like that's the direction it's heading. But about a week ago, I visited a friend's house, uh, the guy that introduced me to IA, way back before IACP when it was still being supported by FFG. Um, And, you know, he casually keeps up with some of the IACP news, but, you know, he just likes to crank out a few games once in a while, sometimes play some campaign, but we, we went over, played some skirmish together, We decided to, he had some maps that he'd printed, and he sold me his collection, so I had a random assortment of maps. And we decided to play on ISB Headquarters, uh, which is, I don't know if that's ever been a competitive map, but that was an interesting one.
0: Is that the one with the security Um, cameras, or is that the one with... yeah.
1: Yeah, they're cameras that deal damage at the end of the round based on line of sight if you control them.
0: Yeah, that's actually been in rotation twice, once for FFG, and then we brought it back for ICP.
1: Yeah, so like I said, my friend had a collection of maps printed on like this, not poster board, but some kind of banner uh, material, and cut them out to individual-sized maps. And I think they were based on viable, somewhat competitive maps, or just fun, casual maps. So we went with ISP headquarters, and we played on this one once or twice before. He decided to go with a Season 7 Luke Jedi Knight list with Ahsoka. But he also wanted to try out Han Solo, so he threw in Han and Jin, So he had half smugglers and half force users. And what was interesting is during the map setup, I did not realize that there were doors down the center hallway, and I thought that there was line of sight from one deployment zone to the other. And so I deploy everything super conservatively, because I'm afraid of Han shooting eight or nine spots down my way and just destroying my list. Uh, and then when I was about to let him start deploying, I realized there were doors, and I was like, wait, wait, I need to do over here. This this is all wrong. Um, but like I said, he was playing Han, Jin O'Don, and then Season 7 Luke with the heir of the Jedi, and Ahsoka with some support units. And I had decided to... Run Imperial HKs, double HKs in Imperial, with Emperor Palpatine and General Sorin to give extra buffs and attacks. Uh, This was something I saw during the playtest period and thought was extremely powerful. I just did not see anyone using it during our stats episode, and decided to give that a try. So, it was fun. The first round, I was playing super conservatively basically hit in my deployment zone, as I was afraid of his Luke using some movement cards and just running up and destroying anything, and Han getting end-of-round attacks. And by the end of the first round, I was set up in a good spot to have an HK open the door and blast at Han in the second round. Uh, my opponent did play some good cards, but I think a lack of experience with some of these units and the fact that he doesn't play as often... Kind of led to him not making optimal use out of cards like On the Lamb. Uh, So, like, I did shoot him, and he did have an On the Lamb, and he decided to run and hide with Han and did not go for the return fire, and I was able to capitalize on that. Even more so, though, when he finally did jump in with his Luke, he killed one of my HKs. Then I turned around and shot him with an HK and used Soren's ability to spread his surges to nearby droids to stun Luke. And then with the second HK, I think I turned around and stunned Han Solo. And, you know, his figures all being white die. Uh, He was not getting much luck with the dodges. The one time he rolled a dodge on a very important, I think it was a Han attack, that was going to do like 7 damage to Han. Uh, I, you know, HKs can re-roll those, so I had him re-roll. He rolled his only other dodge of the game, and then that's when I played Tough Luck. So, that nice. particular match did not go well for him. Yeah, he was able to take out an HK, but I think clustering together and making him come to me he did turn out to kind of overwhelm the way that he was trying to learn these units and use them. But we decided to do a run back on Kashyyyk Station, and we both decided to switch lists. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Kashyyyk Station, but this one has a couple of interesting missions, and it was getting kind of late, and so I said, you know what, this is probably our last game of the night. I've never seen anyone use this map. Why don't we run both missions at the same time and just go crazy with it, because it's casual anyway. And so this time, this one has two terminals that are in the middle of the map. Uh, He had a rebel list again and brought R2, which was kind of unfortunate because he had trouble getting to the terminal. It's like 10 spaces away from his deployment zone. But both missions are very focused on controlling the terminal to either get VPs or have these security droids or uh, ammo stations turn around and shoot your opponents if you control the corresponding terminals. I went in with my Scum Force user list, which I have used quite a number of times, and he went in with deciding to drop the smuggler side of his list. He just doubled down on Jedi. I think he was playing Jedi Luke, uh, Leia, of course, and then I think he had Mara and Davith, so trying to use those super powerful command cards. But not being able to get R2 next to a terminal for a round and a half, and then it being contested by the time he did, kind of led to him not having command cards. Which he was pretty bummed about. I felt pretty bummed myself, because with Leia and Devith, I also helped him realize he should put in some spy cards, and I I got strat shifted when I had seven cards in hand uh, early round two. (laughs) The interesting thing is... (laughs) In the end, I did wind up winning this match. But I would say in the middle and end of round two, he had uh, taken out like three of my attackers, and he still had three of his left. And I just basically had Shyla and a few support units. Uh, Somehow Shyla was able to survive a few extra attacks and turn around and I think finish off Luke Skywalker. And that's when he conceded. The reason she was able to finish off Luke, though, is because I had Aphra run up and take a shot at Luke near the end of round two. And I was doing it mostly hoping for maybe a one damage ping to get opportunistic off on of one of my attackers to get them close to Luke. Uh, and she wound up max rolling and dealing like five or six damage to Luke. And my friend looked at that and said, like, how is this possible? <laughs> how, how did you just roll like seven damage on a Luke Skywalker from this four point unit?
0: Yeah, sometimes they do that. So in the end we had a good time. So wait, did you yeah. say you played Sometimes. Oops, I let me adjust my mic. did you say you played um both missions at the same time? Yes. So let's see. I'm looking at the map right now. Uh, each figure than three spaces of one or more hostile weapon place suffers two damage and each player gains four BPs for each weapon placement he controls interesting um yeah this is an interesting one i think we've talked about this map um the terminal being so far away from the deployment zone is a big sticky issue for this map in terms of like competitive play and it sounds like your friend came up against that issue
1: i actually think round one he could have moved r2 Up to the terminal and not gotten a scomp round one, but could have gotten it round two. The issue is seeing that I think he used Gideon to help get R2 along the way, and that was his plan. Seeing that, I had Terran Malikos throw a boulder like across the entire map, um, just to put a rubble token by that tree of blocking terrain, to basically make R2 take an extra space to get to the terminal, which is one space is too many for him to reach in one round.
0: Yeah, that's pretty good tech, because um, yeah, you can technically, R2 can reach the blue terminal with a Gideon bonus movement um, and be able to scomp around one. But the problem is, is then your R2 is like just a sitting duck and going to get hit with pot shots um, by the, your opponents. Now, to be
1: clear, my friend was in the green deployment zone. I don't know if that changes that.
0: The green deployment zone.
1: All right, the deployment zone with the grass
0: oh okay. and the interior
1: I'm, I'm, one was the one i had
0: so that is the blue deployment zone on this map because uh, mm-hmm. i'm looking at a black and white picture with the right. colored tokens but yeah even there you can go one two with gideon and then one two three and you can actually scomp, scomp link. so either deployment zone can do that but uh interesting it's rough for the r2 player because usually your yeah. terminals should pretty protected on most maps
1: Yeah, before we started either of our games, I pulled out a different map that had snow tiles, Um, and I don't, I think it was a nuclear fallout kind of mission, I don't remember the map itself, but it was like you have to grab these tokens and then run inside and bring them to the one terminal on the map, and I was like, okay, this looks weird and cool and we're playing a casual game, this looks fun. And then my friend said, but I just built this list with R2, does that mean I just wasted this deployment? (laughs) Okay, we'll play a different map.
0: See, and that's my, I, I always argue this. We Whenever we talk about what maps to rotate in, like mm-hmm. we'll bring up different maps and I'll we'll be like, guys, that doesn't work because the, the, the terminal, you can't reach the terminal with R2. And it's like, if you have one map in rotation, this is my argument. I, this is not the steering committee's position. This is my personal argument. If you have one map in rotation, that you can't reach the, the terminal in round one, then R2 is unplayable. Like R2-D2, it literally becomes unplayable because if you get that map, you've wasted three deployment points basically on this do-nothing figure that only came move three spaces. And that would be really bad for the rebels as a faction to not be able to have a functional R2-D2. It's one of those things that's just like ingrained into the faction and part of what balances the faction. Like each faction has their own kind of overpowered staples that are like foundational pieces. They're not they're not the figures that make each list feel different. They're the like foundation that you build the list upon. And if you knock that out from underneath the rebels by making by not having each map be functional for R2D2 then it's a it's a big problem that's my personal belief that some some people don't believe that but
1: i do kind of think that rebel high command in some instances can help with that but i can see it not being good for a competitive environment that's a trickier question because if it's one out of three maps then do you bring r2 to win two-thirds of your matches or do you do something you think is inferior to get a similar effect um you, you would when we have were picking maps, I said, "Why don't you just switch to Rebel High Command? and get your cards anyways." And he's like, "Well, then I'll have less deployments." And yep. I was like, "Okay, well, we'll just pick a different map."
0: Yeah, you you would have to bring Rebel High Command in a in a rotation set like that, and then Rebel High Command mm-hmm. is just inferior to R two D two on almost all fronts because um, you're getting you're getting one less activation count on round one, you are drawing your card at the end of the round, instead of at the start of the round, which is when R2 Mm -hmm. usually activates. So you're you're usually down one card compared to if you have R2-D2 each round. Um, and, And the one... The one bonus point is it's one point less, so that's why you see it sometimes in some lists. Is just like sometimes you just don't have enough space for R2D2, but you still want that card draw, so you bring um, Rebel High Command to save points. Uh, but uh, otherwise, anyway, yeah, that's a it's an interesting discussion that your your um, story made me think of in looking at this map. But uh,
1: yeah, and I think. I think one last thing to note on the Kashyyyk station, uh, since we did do the crazy thing, and I said let's play both missions at the same time. Uh, Blue side, where my friend was, I think there are some crates near one of those uh, hostile stations to where you would get shot if you were trying to hold those crates. Those two crates in the, uh, I'd say the top right corner or where the water is. But on the red side, you have crates that are just outside of that shooting station's range, and you can hold them safely. And again, I had to remind myself that the map wasn't balanced to be running both missions at once. But I did think that gave me a little bit of leeway in uh, holding
0: objectives. Uh, yeah, I, prob- I think I <laughs> probably would have ruled that that's, that weapon's turned off <laughs> for that mission. <laughs> that does seem a little unfair.
1: Yeah. Well, in the end, it turned into a dogfight, and the objectives were kind of like things we ran towards, but not things that really determined the outcome. I mean, the terminal holdings did, but not so much uh, the shooting stations or the crates.
0: Okay. Well, any other um, games you wanted to talk about, or did you want to move on here?
1: No, I think we're good to move on.
0: Okay. Well, I lost my show notes. Oh, there we are. Okay. Okay. So moving on, I'm going to change up the, uh, there we go. Okay, so moving on to our next segment is rules question of the week. So we're going to talk about the best rules question we've seen uh, from the community. Um, It's usually a good point of discussion. So the one I picked for this episode is there was a question about massive figures Uh, Playing Dying Lunge and then using Parting Blow. So the question was, can a massive figure, so in this case only the Rancor, um, can the massive figure play Dying Lunge? And then if it does play Dying Lunge, can it overlap other small figures the way it normally can when it moves? Um, And then if it does do that, and I'm bringing up the uh, card images for the video, if it does do that, can it then play parting blow? Since usually when a massive figure overlaps and pushes a small figure out of the way, that counts as that figure eg- exiting an adjacent space, and you can usually play parting blow off of that. So, um, did you see this one, Wesley? Yeah, yeah.
1: And then there was a one final part to this question was, and then if you do the parting blow attack, is your figure stunned for the dying lunge attack?
0: Yeah. So that's the yeah that's the question. So.
1: Yeah, I did see this question, and I just popped in with my own answer, and I was like, it was like a five-word response. I was like, pretty sure it's yes, yes, and yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, so let's let's run through it. Because it's actually, the actual answer is, it depends. Oh. So it depends. Um, what it depends on is if it's the massive figure's activation and if that massive figure has already overlapped something so in almost all cases it would not be the massive figure's activation if they're dying to dying lunge right if they are right. they're getting attacked it's probably not their activation in which case so the 90% of the time we would say that the the situation would be um, the massive figure it suffers damage and then you would play dying lunge and then it can move, and it can overlap uh, any small figures. And the rules are, for massive figures, when you, if you move and overlap small figures, those figures get pushed out of the way. So then what would happen is those figures would get pushed out of the way, and then that would trigger um, parting blow. Parting blow would result in an attack, and this would be while the movement part of dying lunge is resolving. So you do the parting blow, then you become stunned, and then the problem is, you go back to finish resolving dying lunge, and then you move into then perform a melee attack. Well, you're stunned, so and you got stunned before you started performing that melee attack, because normally if you are performing an attack and you get stunned mid attack, you don't stop attacking, but in this case you got stunned before you started doing the attack for dying lunge, and I think that's what you um, had said in your answer, Wesley. So the right the depends part is if, it, if it's the Rancor's activation and they already moved and overlapped, the rule is once you overlap small figures with a massive figure um, that massive figure can no longer move during that activation. So if you then d- um, died during that same activation, let's say you got hit by a return fire or something and, you play, and then you tried to play Dying Lunge uh, you would not be able to move at all with Dying Lunge, in that case. So that's a that's a corner case that I think thought was worth mentioning. Um, a lot of people forget or don't know about that rule that once you overlap during your activation, you can't move anymore. Um, even if you were to move by like external means. So same thing for like, Bantha Rider, overlap, do a stampede. You can't then play opportunistic to move some more um, You can only do that if you're doing movement outside of your activation, because then that whole rule doesn't apply.
1: I didn't realize that only applied during your turn.
0: It's during the activation. Right. During Uh, your activation.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I actually thought that was, in general, like if you, uh, you know, played Dying Lunge, and then Overlapped, and then... I don't know, somehow it did damage before the dying lodge attack and then played opportunistic. I thought you would be stuck.
0: Uh yeah. I would say
1: once per activation uh
0: the overlap. restriction
1: on, on the displacement. Yep. Yeah it is. It is. Well you said it doesn't apply outside of their activation.
0: Oh, um so there's a ruling that like if you do it during end of round then it mm-hmm. doesn't apply. Um, let me look up the mm-hmm. actual rule, just so I'm doing this correctly. <laughs> Let's see. Let's go into the actual rules here. Because um, I think it's worth looking up. I thought I knew this rule because I've looked it up so many times. Uh, rules. You know it enough for 99% of Sorry. use cases. Which is, uh, good. Good. Massive. Okay, massive. Here we go. Zoom in here. Massive figure can end its movement. If any figures in space are pushed, the player moving the massive figure pushes friendly figure first and the other player pushes their fingers. After a massive figure ends its movement in spaces containing at least one other figure, the massive figure cannot move anymore during this activation. Mm-hmm. And then there was an FAQ about doing like um, Junlin Terror. So that's that command card that Mm -hmm. lets you move out like at the end of the round. Uh, Which is, let's see, massive looking up rules on the air. Because I am dedicated to getting this right. I do not want to put incorrect information out there.
1: There is a note in policies about this. What does it say? It says, After a massive figure ends its movement in spaces containing at least one or one other figure during inactivation, start of round, or end of round, the massive figure cannot voluntarily move anymore during that activation, start of round, or end of round.
0: Oh, it says during that end of round? Okay, so that must be mm-hmm. from the... Um, the FPG. Gentleman Terror... Yeah, I thought it reset, though, once you got out of the activation. I was pretty sure. Um, FFG's FAQ's PDF is not loading. So it's a good thing I made a backup over at ia-continuityproject.com. If you go to that website, all of FFG's rules documents have been saved as backups uh, under our official documents page. So definitely check that out if you ever need to look up any official rulings from FFG and their website's not working for some reason. And I'm filling time here because, um, come on, where is it? Okay, here's from
1: FFG. Can the Bantha Rider or any massive figure end its movement in spaces containing other figures multiple times during the end-of-round step? Answer, no. It can only do this once during the end-of-round step.
0: Multiple times during the end of round of step. Okay, so that is then. So that's correct. Is that you can do it during activation, and then you can also do it during the end step, but you can't do it multiple times during the end step. Right. All right. See, we got there. We got there. All right. <laughs> All right. So let's. What I would be interested okay.
1: in is if there's some way to unstun between the dying or between the parting blow attack and then the dying lunge attack, and actually get both of those.
0: Um, I think there is, which would be... What is that? Uh, mercenary card. Um, punishing Strike. But you have to use the old version. So not the ICP one.
1: Ah, when one of your figures applies a harmful condition. Would this work?
0: Yep, I used to do this all the time with Shyla and Parting Blow. So you, you're you applying... You're using... Oh, we're getting into this now. You're using. <laughs> I have Pushing strike on the screen. You guys can see it if you're watching the video. Yeah. Parting blow. You are playing this command card, and part of this command card's effect is it is dealing a harmful condition to a figure. It's right. just it's your figure, but it doesn't specify on punishing strike whether it's hostile or friendly figure. It's if you deal a if you use an effect to deal a harmful condition to any figure, you can exhaust Punishing Strike and deal out a different condition instead. So you use...
1: I. I My confusion here is that the original wording for Punishing Strike says exhaust this card when one of your figures applies a harmful condition to a figure. Mm-hmm. But in the case of Parting Blow, is that not a command card or a mission effect or a rule that is, is applying the... Stun condition?
0: It is a command card being played by that figure. Okay. That's the, that's if you look up command, the rules for command cards are command cards that have a restriction in the text box are played by the figure that meets that restriction.
1: Okay. So, in short, if you want this to work, you need to have a Rancor, play Dying Lunge when it dies, move and display someone, play Parting Blow. Be running the original punishing strike for two points exhaust that put a different condition on it and then you won't be stunned when your dying lunge attack goes off and you'll be able to get two attacks out of dying
0: yep and this does not work with the new punishing strike um i pushed for it to work because i like that combo but i got uh there were were reasons to not have it work uh, uh, that way I think people just didn't like how unintuitive it was. Because I think most people have the same reaction as you. Um, So you need some in-depth rules knowledge to understand that interaction. Okay, are we ready to move on? I think we are at our main topic. Yep. Yep, We
1: got a little bit in the weeds on that whole question.
0: I know, as we do. Um, All right, but our main topic is... Taibana want to talk to you about this map. This is the Bespin uh, what is it called? I keep forgetting what it's actually called. Bespin Bespin Taibana facility. Thank you. So here's the map up on your screen. This map has rotated into ICP tournament play effective November 17th. So we kind of dropped it on people right off the date. Uh, We're rotating out Mos Eisley back alleys for this map and it's kind of crazy that it Mos Eisley rotated in so long ago, but it did. Um, almost a year ago. Not even a year, though. Uh, less than that. Whatever the current uh, length of stay for a map is, which is... Honestly, I think nine it's months. four months per rotation, and
1: I'm just surprised that Earth's crew has been out for four months.
0: Yeah. Time flies. Um, but it's like... I think... Well, it's three rotations, a year, four months, so... So yeah, actually, that means a year. Each map is out yeah. for a year. So Mos has been out for a year. And so we say we bid adieu to Mos Eisley once again. Um, I personally don't like that map anymore, but people love it. It's a very popular map. But uh, I do like this map a lot. Um, I think it's great that we're finally getting this one into rotation, because I think it's a really balanced map. It's a good competitive map. So we're going to talk about it here. Um, let's see, what was I, see my notes keep getting away from me, oh here we go, these are my notes. <laughs> so the first thing we should talk about is kind of summarizing the map, uh, again you can see it up on the screen, uh, it's a small size map in my opinion, um, and my my basis is Lothal wastes is a large map, Uskru and Moss are medium maps, and Devron Garrison is a small map, so this is also a small map in my opinion. Um, but it's not too small. I think it's bigger than Devron for sure, right? Yeah,
1: kind of seems that way. <laughs>
0: Slightly bigger. Okay, well, let's go through the missions here. And see, I have two. think many. it's just crazy
1: that Earth's crew is considered medium, though. That feels like a perfect sniper map.
0: I consider it medium. I think people might disagree with me. I think Moss Isley Mos is definitely medium, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think Earth's group feels idea. big when the doors are locked, but once the doors open, it's actually not as big as people think it is. No. But um, let's talk about these missions. So, Mission A, I'm going to zoom in here, um, is Man in Carbonite. So, this is uh, set up. Each player claims two mission tokens. And I should pull out the tokens while I talk about these, but then I'm going to get distracted. Uh, so, they pull out two mission tokens when a hostile figure is defeated his opponent may choose to place one of his mission tokens, uh, so like this one, Um, place one of his mission tokens in that figure's space. The defeated figure is unconscious. Then it says each uh, figure a player controls can retrieve his mission tokens, so the ones that replaced your opponent's figures. A figure carrying a mission token can interact with the carbon freezing chamber, which is this 2x2 square down at the bottom of the map, To discard the mission token and score VPs equal to the figure cost of the corresponding unconscious figure. And then I'm going to read the other one and then we'll get into some of the rules stuff about these missions that are important. Uh, The next one is mission B is strategic reserves. A figure can retrieve a Taibana gas reserve, uh, which you can see are these tokens up here. Um, At the end of each round, each player determines the total figure cost of each of his figures on or adjacent to the Carbon Freezing Chamber. Again, 2 by 2 space at the bottom of the map. The player with the highest total is operating the Carbon Freezing Chamber until the end of the next round. So what does that mean? Well, the player who is operating the Carbon Freezing Chamber is considered to have four additional VPs for each Tybana gas reserves uh, his figures are carrying. So what that effectively means is um, as long as you are controlling the carbon freezing chamber then your VPs will go up based on how many of these gas tokens your figures are carrying but that at the end of each round it will change so if your opponent is now controlling the chamber you no longer have those VPs that you had and your opponent will now count as having them. So it goes back and forth it doesn't Uh, build up like it does in most missions. (laughs) Um, So let's see, going down here. Okay so let's talk about some important notes here about figure costs and what that means. Um, So both of these reference figure costs in the case of the man in carbonite uh, whatever the mission token that that figure drops when it's defeated and then can get picked up, you score that based on the Figure cost of the figure that died, and it's important to note that figure cost is not affected by um, attachments. So, in the case of something like Darth Vader, I'm just pulling him up here. So, if Darth Vader is being used and you have driven by hatred on him, you know we're used to, <coughs> to Vader costing 13 points now because that's how many points we get when we when we kill him. We get and it's technically technically it's because you're scoring 18 points that is then modified by the attachment on him. Normally you score the figure points and then you also score for the attachment, and the attachment actually gives you less points when you kill Vader, so you get 13. However, uh, attachments by the rules do not modify a figure's figure cost. So uh, you know even when you're playing like uh, an eight point figure, if you put like a one point attachment on it, that doesn't that figure doesn't become a nine point figure, it's just an eight point figure with a one point attachment. So in this case, Vader's figure cost remains 18. So if for some reason you decide to put Vader down by the freezing chamber and he gets killed, and then your opponent is able to score him by dropping him off at the freezing chamber, uh, they will get 18 victory points. And the same is true for stuff like Han Solo with Rogue Smuggler. He is 12. Uh, his figure cost is 12. Chewie with, what is it, Wookiee Avenger. His figure cost is 15, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. I think those are the three ones that have negative modifiers that are important to look out for. Yeah. Uh, and then the same is true, uh, we'll talk about, that. the same is true for Mission B, except in in reverse, right? So, you could have a full... <clears throat> or no, not a full group of rangers. No, yeah, let's say rangers. You could have a full group of rangers all controlling the freezing chamber. Um, but Han will... Well, I guess Han will tie them. Who should we use? Chewie, who is normally like 11 points with his attachment, right? He will actually I'll beat like them. You be got a second. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I'll, I'll just keep talking. Um, so Chewie will be 15 points... Uh, uh, he's a 15-point figure. He will actually beat them for control of the carbon freezing chamber. When it comes to end of round, like checking end of round for control. So that's really important to note. I think I don't know if it's going to trip people up, but it's something that people should be aware of. <clears throat> it's definitely going to lead into might change strategies for people when these figures are present. Um, again, also true of if you're playing like a positive, like let's say you had, I don't know, what do, what what attachments can you put on a group of uh, Alliance Rangers? Something or, you know, something that makes them like 13 points, you know, they're still not going to be beating um, Chewy because they're still just a 12, 12 points of figure cost. And I guess I should also mention one more thing is that you add the figure costs and you don't look at the deployment costs. So let's say you have a group of elite jet troopers um, out here and there's two of them on the carbon freezing chamber. You have eight points controlling the freezing chamber, not seven, because, again, you add the total figure costs of each figure. So in this case, the jet troopers are figure cost four and there's two of them. So that's total eight and you don't look at the deployment costs you only look at the deployment costs when you're dealing with a single single figure group that's when okay this this number up here in the top left that's their figure cost um, so hopefully that wasn't too confusing <clears throat> alright well hopefully Wesley will let me know when he gets back and I'm gonna move on here and then we'll let him talk comment on that if he wants to um, Let's see, oh there's a, I put a little secret here in that the secret to strategic reserves, which is the B mission, is that it doesn't matter, controlling carbon freezing chamber doesn't matter until the end of the game. Um, So if it would, if controlling it would push you over 40, or your opponent over 40, or if you're getting to the end of the round, end of the time, like if you're playing a timed game for a tournament, that's when you really want to focus on getting that control of that freezing chamber because those uh, points you get from it are ephemeral they are not permanent so again um, that's important to note the other thing to note is you can't spend VPs that are you have from strategic reserves so let's say you haven't gotten any kills yet but you do have you count as having victory points based on strategic reserves. You can't spend those for things like Jabba the Hut or Black Market. Um, you can only spend kill points so this actually is kind of a rough mission for um, uh, scum lists that are using Black Market or maybe Bib Fortuna. Uh, if you're going to use that you might want to consider bringing First Strike in your list to give you some VPs to be able to spend because you can't spend VPs that are not permanent according to the FAQ. right let's kind of talk about the layout here of the map so we've got four unlocked doors I'm going to zoom in a little bit here so you can see the full map for you guys we have four unlocked doors um, two on each side two of them separate the upper area between the deployment zones and two of them separate the lower area which is occupied by the carbon chamber between the two terminal rooms that flank the carbon freezing chamber. Uh, The upper area has a lot more cover and walls to hide behind, so I think that's going to be much better for figures that want to close the gap um, to do close range damage. Whereas this area right here is a lot more open, so if you're playing a long range list you are probably going to want to be fighting in this open area a lot more, uh, fighting from your terminal side. uh let's see the carbon freezing chamber this yellow room uh there's only one gas reserve token there so if you're playing that that side um the majority of the gas tokens are upper in this upper area up here and so what you'll probably end up doing is um you're trying to control the room so you'll want to have line of fire into the carbon freezing chamber with and you'll want to be using your like expensive queen pieces to control that and then your smaller, smaller figures, your cheap figures, are going to be up in the north area, um, picking up gas uh, reserves, because you need to, you do need to spend an action to retrieve those that cost an action. Uh, regarding terrain, there's very little terrain on the map actually, as far as like blocking and difficult terrain. Uh, there is some impassable terrain in the carbon freezing chamber. Uh, The chamber itself is also impassable, you can't really see it on this picture, but these green lines are overlaying some dotted red lines, which is impassable terrain, so you can shoot through it just fine, but you can't move through that, you have to go around it, which is honestly not that big of a deal, it it doesn't really obstruct your movement that much either. Um, Let's see, and then again, these, um, these impassable terrains right here, I guess I should show you guys here on the video. Uh, these are at the north end of the room of the carbon freezing chamber. They really don't block movement that much because you're going to be usually starting here if you're coming from the terminal room. So you can go one, two, three, four, versus if you were, if those didn't exist, it would be one, two, yeah it's really not that big a deal. If you're coming down from the upper area, they can kind of restrict it by one, one, two, three, four, versus one, two, three, four. It's about the same though uh, so really not a big deal you don't get that means you don't get a whole lot of advantage from being mobile on this map compared to other maps uh, so that's good to keep uh, an, a mind on
1: uh, hey oh I hey back returned yep just had just... a little scare looks like the five-year-old had left the door wide open oh my we have pets
0: okay I hope everybody's okay oh, everything's good okay good Yep, everything's good okay um, well I, I finished talking about the objectives um, I went over mm-hmm. like the figure cost rules and um, the fact that you don't it doesn't matter who's controlling the ch- freezing chamber until the end of the game uh, and that you right. can't you can't spend those Vps and then I was just going over the layout of the map here so kind of covered the doors the gas cha- the gas supplies uh, the fact that there's very little terrain and then mm-hmm. um, i think i just finished the terrain
1: so i was gonna say uh for the Tapano reserve so a figure like darth vader only counts as 13 points towards control here instead of 18
0: uh no No, it counts as 18 18. sorry yeah
1: yeah Ooh. Ooh. so it's kind of like a buff in one mission and a nerf in the other mission for these figures based on their rebalanced costs
0: yes the attachments (laughs) Yeah, specifically the ones that have those negative modifier attachments, which I think are only three. I think it's Chewie, Han, and Vader. Yeah. Because IG is still at 12 points. He has a a zero point attachment. Um, Right. And then the other thing I went over was that if you have, like, Jet Troopers, those are four figure points each. So if you have both two Jet Troopers on the Freezing Chamber, you actually have eight points total, not seven.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, again, attachments don't change anything, and it's based on the actual figure's cost, which is either for a one unit, the one cost on the card, or for multi-unit groups, just whatever the sub count is, even if it doesn't add up to the main count.
0: Exactly. So I just went over terrain, which of which there is very little. Um, and then I was going to talk yeah. about deployment zones here. So that's always kind of an interesting question with a new map is... Which, how balanced are the deployment zones, and is there one deployment zone that's better than the other one? Um, so I'll kind of go through my notes that I wrote here and then we can talk about it. Um, but they're both pretty much symmetrical uh, in terms of the layout. Uh, they're both equal distance from all of the gas uh, reserves, or at least the ones that are closest to each side. And then they're both equally distant from that single gas reserve that's in the carbon freezing chamber. So. Um, there's no advantage to one side or the other in terms of the gas uh, reserves on mission B. Um, the layouts are pretty much the same. So there's there's a few things I've noticed looking at this map. So f- for the red deployment zone you have this nice little back room here which is just perfect for putting Jabba into. Uh, it's not easy to shoot at from the opponent's side of the map which is not true for the other side if you put Jabba here or back here and both of these two middle doors are open, the opponent can just snipe at Jabba from their side of the map pretty easily. Um, So that's nice for the red deployment zone. Um, The other thing I saw was, let's see, there is a little alcove here by the blue deployment zone. This does not offer any defensive advantage for the blue side because it doesn't go deep enough to hide in from the red deployment zone. It actually offers more of an advantage towards red because if they manage to push into the blue deployment zone side and get here they can shoot down into the terminal room without having to um, break line of sight or give put their figure in line of sight so they, they have a one-way line of sight attack from this spot right here into the blue room's deployment zone or terminal room and, and then as far as the the blue side it did take me a while, but I realized there is a advantage here. Um, so first of all, the blue deployment zone is one space closer to the terminal door. So that's kind of important. That means a five-speed figure can move. So you can go um, one, two, three, open the door, four, five, and get back to safety. That's not true of the red zone, but you can do it with Gideon. So you can go one, two with Gideon, and then one, two, open the door, 3-4 with a four-speed figure and you're back into relative safety here <clears throat> that is something to think about with um, you're going to have to use your Gideon movement if you do want to open that terminal door now you might not want to honestly we'll get into that later uh, and then finally I don't know uh, if a lot of people notice this yet but this this blocking squ- square are you looking at the map uh, you have a map up Wesley I'm looking at the show
1: notes but I don't see a blocking square
0: uh, so in the in the bottom right terminal room, there is a square mm. of blocking terrain. Okay. So that square is interesting because you can actually stand if you stand directly underneath it, you mm. have really good line of sight, and I should bring up the line of sight tool here. But you have really good line of sight into the middle of the map from there, and you cannot be attacked uh, from the opponent's side of the map. They would have to move up to stand next to the carbon freezing chamber to be able to take a shot at you. Um, here, let me move this over so I can show everybody what that looks like on the podcast, on the video at least. Um, get rid of that. Okay, here we go. So if you and i know you can't see this wesley but if you go into the I line of, if you go into the line of sight tool the um nick slash ia line of sight and i'll link this in the show notes cuz i think this is a really important tool to use whenever there's a new map that drops you want to use this and like figure out what the good line of, what the good spots are to hide your figures so if you look at this tool here <clears throat> The green squares are the squares that this figure can both see and be seen by. The blue squares are the ones that can see this figure, but that figure cannot see themselves. And the yellow ones are the ones that the figure can see, but cannot see back to that figure. So if you look at this, you see there's a ton of yellow uh, here in the left side going into the opponent's terminal room. And specifically, I believe it covers their terminal. Let's see. Uh yeah. It fully encompasses their terminal. So you would be able to attack any figure they have standing next to their terminal, and they would not be able to attack you back unless they move uh one, two, three spaces out of their deployment zone, <clears throat> which means it would be very hard for them to move out, attack you, and then move back to safety if they have a sport four or five speed figure. Uh so yeah, I noticed that. I thought that was really interesting. So that's something to take note of. If you are on the blue deployment zone and you think you're planning to fight from your terminal room, uh, that is something to take note of, especially if your opponent has like Han Solo or something.
1: Yeah. yeah and you covered how the blue side also has a, a one space closer run to the gas chamber.
0: Uh, I think they're actually equal distant from the gas chamber. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three. Oh, no, you're right. So the blue chamber is one space closer to the gas chamber. Yeah, because you're Um, talking
1: about being one closer to the door and then moving back, but that gas chamber is an equal-sized room.
0: Yeah, Um, but you don't have to, like, spend an action to interact with it. So, I mean, both, both sides can get there with, I think, what, seven movement? Five movement, so. Yeah. Not, uh, it's not a huge advantage there either.
1: Um, one thing to note, though, uh, you mentioned having Gideon on the red side maybe send someone up too, and then they can open the door and run to safety. I think Gideon on both sides has a, uh, different job on this map, and it's to, round one at least, is to help get R2 to that terminal that's four spaces away.
0: Oh yeah, you should talk about that. I'm gonna, I have to step away for just a second.
1: Yeah, so I know earlier in this episode we uh, spoke about uh, missions with R2 being useless if it takes too long to get to a terminal, and different viewpoints on that. Uh, but it, you know we have the Earthscrew map, which is a little interesting because the I don't know red blue on that one, but the top side up there, the north side of the Earthscrew Entertainment District, you start there on Rebels, and R2 needs to somehow get a magical fourth movement point to get to the terminal. But what we see here in Best Bespin-Tabana facility is that that is something that holds true for both sides of the map. Whether you're red or blue, you're going to need four movements points to get from your from the beginning of your the end of your deployment zone to the terminal. And if you want to control that, if you want to scomp, and of course R2 only has three movement points. Uh, so you can't really scomp turn one unless you give him extra movement points, and the quickest way to do that would be a figure like Gideon. I hear you come back already?
0: Yep. Um, So, yeah, you have to do that on both sides. Is that true?
1: Yeah, from what I see. I don't see either side that offers that for three spaces. And I was talking about Hera and Screw. You have one side that takes four and one side that takes three.
0: Yep. So if you are playing R2, you'll want to have either Gideon or Hera in your list to help deal with that, uh, that gap.
1: You can always bring Fen.
0: Yeah, Fen, like Fen works too. Yeah. Okay, um, going back to the notes here. <clears throat> Alright, so some strategy discussion. Let's talk about that. Um, queen pieces we kind of already talked about. But in particular for strategy, you're going to want to keep your queen piece as far away from the <laughs> freezing chamber as possible. Basically. Um, this whole room is like a no-go. If you're playing Han or especially Vader uh, or Chewbacca. You're going to want to keep them up here.
1: And that's, of course, for the Man and Carbonite, right?
0: The Man and Carbonite, yes. Uh, for the other one, the they're actually really good in the Freezing Chamber, although the only problem is you're exposed. If you're down there, that's like the easiest area to attack.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you kind of want to choose your spot and really you want to play defensively and keep that figure alive because they're going to be so critical in the end game for making sure that you have uncontested control of that freezing chamber and only you are able to get the VPs from holding all the gas reserves. Right.
1: Um, I think it's interesting how the two different missions interplay that one of them your queen pieces are good in one spot and one of them your queen pieces need to be as far away from that as possible Uh, but i did want to confirm for man and carbonite it is an action to pick up that mission token correct
0: yep it is so and actually i think so can retrieve a mission token so retrieve is always an interact to retrieve that's part of the rules Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I believe it's also an interact to drop it off so it is yeah. pretty difficult to dunk one of these um, unconscious figure tokens uh, you have to have an action to pick it up you have to action have an action to drop it off and then you have to spend movement points in between to get there so uh, that was part is of it our time we see too. a rise
1: in aligned smugglers in the meta
0: yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't say no to that. I mean, they're really good on the other missions, too. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of missions that are... I mean, they're not good on priority target, but they're good on everything else. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, because they, they would get their free movement points from interacting with a unconscious figure token, and they also get that from these gas reserves. I think you can only carry one gas reserve at a time, right? Nope. You can carry multiple. So, yeah, they'd be really good, because they could pick up one and then move and then pick up the other one in same activation.
1: Oh. Oh, yeah. So, yeah wow. The and are then great. just run, run away. Yeah. They're really good for this.
0: Yeah, and you do want to run away once you have one of those gas reserves, because if you are defeated then you drop it and you don't control that anymore. So that's one of the main strategies for the um, strategic reserves mission is if for some reason you cannot maintain control of the freezing chamber you're going to want to do everything you can to kill as many of your opponent's figures that are either carrying the gas reserves or threaten to pick up one uh, to deny them those victory points. And then, of course, if you're right. killing all their figures, you're scoring more VPs than they are. So,
1: Right. Yeah, hold on one more minute. I'll be right back if you want to continue.
0: Yeah, sure thing. Um, <clears throat> so similar to Devron Garrison, we have this, this area up at the top. Uh, but it's a little bit different. First of all, the doors are not locked the way they are on um, Devron Garrison. Mm-hmm. Why does my microphone keep going down? It's so annoying. Uh, so this area here you can either go up and around or you can open the door and try and go through which is not that hard actually. One, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, it's not unheard of to open your door have one of your figures get some bonus movement from like an officer or Gideon and then be able to come and open this door as well um, but I would it's probably not advised to do that on the first round because then you're just giving your opponent a nice big target to shoot at Um, instead what you'll probably see is people positioning figures like here or here although even that is dangerous because the the opponent can go one two three and shoot down into this middle area so um, probably like positioning your figure here is good let's see one two three four those you can still get shot at so it's really not safe any way you slice it um, your approach on This top area, um, you're gonna have to rush the opponent if you want to do something. Um, so probably the safest area will be like right here, oops, by right behind your door. And then, um... oh, mute his. there we go. All right, just us again. So, the other thing you want to look for is. This is actually a, a so we talked about this being a potentially melee friendly map, but actually it's really good for ranged lists. Uh, the reason being that, like we said, they can punish any melee figure that tries to come through this area very easily. But what you're really going to be doing is probably moving your list down into this terminal room, either side, um, blue or red. You're going to open this door, and then you're going to have perfect control over shooting up into this middle area and then shooting up at whatever comes through this area uh, you'll be able to shoot if you keep your figures around here, around your terminal. And then of course you can also shoot at your opponent if they try to come through their terminal room. So this these terminal rooms actually have a lot of control over the map. Um, let's see, what else? I feel like my microphone volume is all over the place today. Um, so, kind of moving on here. I think that's kind of all I have to say about this map. Hopefully uh, Wesley, when he gets back, will have some more to say as well. I sure do. Oh, there you are. And I...
1: Apologize for all of these uh, interruptions. Oh, well, you know, it's fine. Kids in the house, things happen. Uh, yeah, so I did want to say, I think in one of the earlier episodes we filmed of this show, I mentioned a map that I had played on when I started getting to IACP, and I think I played Troopers as one of my first lists with a friend before I joined the online community. And I... Remember there being some carbonite stuff going on in the middle, and you had to freeze a person in carbonite. And in my head, I was like, yeah, there's no way this could be a competitive map. There's, like, points flying all over the place. Like, you get a victory point, you get ten victory points. And turns out, no, this is, this is that map that I played on. And looking at it again, I see how it's more balanced. I just remember at the time recalling it as being something wild. Like... And it, it kind of is. You can uh, kill someone and get an extra 8 to 10 VPs. That's a very swingy thing. And the other mission is, you know, you have 12 VPs one round and you lose it the next round. And yeah. I, I see how it's fair and balanced and competitive now. But I guess at the time, with the limited experience I had, I was like, wow, this is this is a lot of going on.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of those maps where it's like, if you don't know what you're doing... And that I say that like if you don't if you haven't looked at the missions and come up with a plan and understand how you're supposed to play it, it could probably seem pretty wet and wild with especially if you're like if you put your Vader or whatever down in the freezing chamber and didn't think about the consequences of leaving him there and leaving him there for your opponent to easily score. Or yeah. if you're not paying attention to the gas reserves until like the very end game, and your opponent scoops up like three of them, and you're like, "Oh, I forgot to put somebody on the freezing chamber," and your opponent's like, "Okay, I have 12 VPs extra now, I win." Um, it can probably be pretty crazy, but once you've, I think once you like just play it, I think it's very easy to figure out how to play it optimally, and then it's like, it solves for that issue. Mm-hmm. I do think I do think mission B will actually be much more of a wild card mission. Like, I think that mission is going to end up being like, like, I thought I had it, and then this crazy sting happened, and he killed two of my gastroser figures, and that or, you know, he, he double moved his, this guy over here instead of shooting like I thought he would, and all of a sudden I was short down VPs at the end of the round. You know, like, that's going to be kind of lead to some crazy stories. I think the uh, carbon freezing one is like, oh... That carbon freezing chamber is where my opponent gets eighteen VPs for my Vader. I'm not going to put Vader over there. Solved. <laughs> like, continue <laughs> mission <laughs> as normal.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then delivery system is oh, I want to control that system second or third round near the end of the game. That's where I put Vader. Solved.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, and even yeah, that's true with delivery system. It some the Vader is going to have. Uh, easier time on there if he is played correctly though like you do have to like i said pick your spot with vader because if you put him there too early and you're controlling the chamber for no reason then it's like vader's just gonna die and then you're gonna be in bigger trouble
1: and i'd I'd just like to point out that as of now half of all competitive deployment zones in iacp you cannot move scomp without extra help on round one
0: Yep, so definitely bring Hera and Gideon in your R2 lists. I yep. mean, we saw I think we saw in one of our games at with Adam's lists, he didn't have either, but he did have R2 and I think it cost him not having that extra card. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And don't forget your urgencies or even your fleet footits. They can come in handy here and they're that's a good card overall.
0: Yep. So I think we kind of covered it like I don't think this is a super complex map in terms of positioning, that that one little square on the bottom right was the most interesting thing I found in the Line of Sight tool. Yeah. But, yeah, uh... I think
1: that's that's it. I guess uh, one one note is that when I did play this on the uh, IRL map we, we'd fold it out. I don't think either of us were running anything with mobile, so we said, "Oh, this is a carbon chamber." Well, I don't have like pawn and carbonite, but I did have this uh, D&D miniature. It was like an alien in some test tube, and the test tube was made of metal and had all these legs sticking out like a spider thing. Um, And I just stuck that there, some kind of like test tube with a creature in it. It was a pretty similar thing to a, you know, some kind of chamber where people get stuck in
0: nice (laughs) yeah okay well um i think that's going to wrap it up for now thanks everybody for watching um if you want to leave a comment that helps the channel out a lot if you want to check out uh the second flocks uh content he has a youtube channel wesley did you want to plug your channel of course i will post a link in the description i think you just plugged it for me all right sweet well (laughs) we will catch you guys next time um i think as i meant i probably mentioned this in the community updates but i'm going to be gone traveling for a while but we're going to record a bonus episode here so you guys will have something to listen to the following week of this episode and uh then i'll be back and hopefully we'll make some more stuff
1: yeah all right everyone stay frosty